Greetings from the Florida coast, a big warg to all of you space burgers out there. I hope you are somewhere comfortable and pleasant, and if you're not, I'm glad you escaped in here. Um, my guest this week I'm excited for you to get to know and meet. He is an artist in every sense of the word to me, and I think that's all you can be as an artist, is an artist to someone else, where they go, ah, I just like what this person does. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with his material or work, I highly suggest you look it up fascinating creature member of planet earth excited for you to get to know demorge brown salzburger yeah that's like uh vienna right i have no idea that's where that's where i want to say johann sebastian bach is from salzburg oh i believe man that that almost instantly gets us right into what i think is so fascinating about you i was talking to someone earlier saying that I was going to be... I was like, oh, I'm recording with Demorge. I feel like he just knows all the culture. I feel like you were right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. I think you really do. It seems like all the artists and painters and poets and things that to a lot of people seem obscure, it seems like you know so much of the full lineage of all of that. It's, it's fascinating to me. And that's from a limited expo, obviously, but... It, the, the amount of things that you referenced just off the top like that, I'm like, I don't think most people know that. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to open my, and I knew when I saw this label for Stiegel, which is pretty cool graphic design. Yes. It looks like it would have been like on a, maybe like a punk club poster wall in the 60s or something, yeah. or a race car or something like that. And when I saw it, I was like, I feel like this is beer that's everywhere. But you had said, I drink Budweiser, and I thought, ah, I can't really do Budweiser, because everyone's had it. Not but not necessarily right. because it's big beer and the, you know, the 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 dominant figure in the beer world these days but just that everyone's had you get it like so the, the anheuser-busch people will be knocking on your door going we heard you had our beer over <laughs> you you didn't rave about it <laughs> said it was just okay what, was what lot number did you get <laughs> <laughs> but this stiegel i haven't had so even if this is the budweiser of it'll be new germany or wherever yeah is that where this would be based from let's this see this is austria right oh yeah yeah you even said that Aus Erster. salzburger austria i'm thinking the wonderful, refreshing Salzburg beer specialty. And then, quote, I personally guarantee quality at the highest level. <laughs> Who is that? It George like Stiegel? It's, it's, it looks like it says, Kius, Kius, Nius? Kliesko? Yeah, it looks like, like something. an L? Ericsson? <laughs> it could be anything. Yeah, that could really be a lot of things. Nico Kariskos? Yeah, that could be a C in there. It's a cool signature. It's cool. And I trust him. But there's only one way to find out. Crack it. Is it? Oh, it's... That it's, didn't fully too great. Not a ton of carbonation there. Oh, it is a... Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good foleying. That sounds great. <laughs> All right, here you go. It does smell similar to Budweiser. 
Maybe a little more like uh, crisp. Does it, does it put the fear of the norm in you like Budweiser? <laughs> I don't like that Budweiser will every now and again introduce something like our special barrel-aged champion blow. They always have a term that you you can tell a marketing team got behind. Are you talking about the boutique Budweiser? The boutique Budweiser that's like still, hey, hey, this isn't craft. This is just a centennial. I never have those, and I always want them. But I, the, you know, the one that I lean toward is the one that I sort of that's in me, for better or for worse, is the is the normal one. Mm-hmm. But then there's always yeah, there's always like Budweiser Black Label. <laughs> <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> what? They'll have those, and then their next ad will be like someone that is meant to be a guy we shouldn't like who's ordering beer and going um what's the mouth feel or they say all these terms that are kind of synonymous with craft brewing oh is this um when was this brewed what sort of hops did they use is it floral what's the bouquet what's the and then they'll be like screw that guy Budweiser (laughs) and I feel like you can't do both you can't have like a black label Budweiser and then (laughs) then have like a Uh, 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 what is it like a brand direction that says Mm -hmm. forget beauty (laughs) stab yourself in the heart (laughs) (laughs) good old fashioned Budweiser (laughs) you don't deserve anything else I have what yeah it was they used to call them good guys the older guys used to call them good guys and I guess the idea was like if you're in a bar and some of you don't know walks into the bar like in New York somebody walks in yeah Guy's probably got a suit on, mm-hmm. you know, and so everybody's just kind of like, oh, shit, who's this guy? If he orders a Heineken, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's going to be drinking. If he orders a Heineken, fuck that guy. And then, but if he orders a Budweiser, might be a good guy. <laughs> That's, that was the idea. It was like, everybody kind of goes down a notch and waits. Yeah. I didn't know we were recording. Were we recording that all the time? Oh, yeah, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. I sneak into it. Yeah. I really try you to start an authentic note. Vipered into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Okay. Because then people get to put on their podcast form, and then suddenly it's they're less comfortable. I wish I had a podcast form. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. Oh, are we recording now? <laughs> Great. Let us discuss ceramics. <laughs> When you said Budweiser's from your part of the world, and the, I always think of it as like South, like St. Louis, Missouri area. That's, that's where it's where the Anheuser Busch is from. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you're from? No, okay. from like mostly upstate New York, like New York and that's upstate New thought. York and New Jersey and that stuff. But that's that's the beer there. That's what's peddled there. And yeah. In the Midwest, like when I got to college, you meet these guys from the Midwest, and they're staunchly uh, uh, Miller. Like mm-hmm. I met a kid who's from the place where the Miller plant is, and his summer job was at the Miller plant. Oh. Um, and uh, his his career job afterwards was at Miller. He was like the guy who made what who left town and, and did good, and then came back, and he was like reprogramming their assembly machines. Oh, uh, so it wasn't like he settled into a life of you'll never do better than your father. Just forget about it. <laughs> no, work no, no. At, he, work at Miller. He went back, and he was just sort of like, "This is where I'm staying because this is where I belong." But out of a choice, and like, I mean, the the but he's they're, they're Miller. I worked on a commercial once for light beer from Miller, mm-hmm. and. Uh, who was it? The, the DP was somebody really famous. It was his, like I think it was Conrad Hall's like last job before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And there was a toolkit on set that had a Budweiser sticker on it. And the Miller executive stood there, arms crossed, until somebody from the agency came over and they said, "Have that removed." Really? And then there was a whole thing where they had to take the the electrician outside and say, "Like, look, you either want to work without that." 
kit, you, <laughs> but you can't have it on set because the Miller guys are freaking out about it. It's so weird because, like, with cars, people show up on it in every different type of car and shoot a car commercial. Right, they wouldn't right. like clear the parking lot. No, no, this was so much. They even also had like I forgot who they were sponsoring. It was some fighter, mm-hmm. and they had giant SUVs outside that just had his his entire body like as a skin across the yeah. thing. And then the Miller logo was like where his championship belt would be, mm-hmm. where it would say WBA light middleweight champion, something like that. It just said the Miller logo instead, and they called mm-hmm. him. The, he was the Miller champion or some crazy thing. <laughs> I when I. Eh, shortly after I moved here, I did, I did some commercial work. I drove a camera truck for a Coors Light commercial. I'm um, probably one of the few last few commercials they shot on 35 millimeter. Yeah, so I had to like go pick up the cans and stuff. And then I it was in the mountains, legitimately like up near um, Big Bear. And I they didn't give me snow chains, and I nearly slid off the road at one point. And they were like. Everyone was freaking out. The caterer's truck had a trailer behind it, and I came around this bend, and it had jackknifed. And Ooh. so I started to stop, and then it was such an icy road, I was just sliding right into him. And then he put out his hands as if he was going to stop it. <laughs> right. And luckily, the, the tire grabbed, and I was like, I got to go. And so I just drove off. Anyway, we shot this whole commercial, and then at the end of it, it ended up taking place at this racetrack, which I got to drive around and be one of the... They were having all the crowd follow one car, but it looked too weird for them to just f- go to the right for a long time and then finally come back around. So they had two cars, and I was the second one. Right. So they'd kind of move to the right, move their head to the left, watch me, watch the next car. And then after the commercial was over, it was all the ad execs and the director, and they all cracked open <laughs> Coors Lights. And I was like, that's so sad. <laughs> no, man, it's been serious. <laughs> they're just, they're just, the commercials are insane. Yeah, and, and just what goes on and, and all the stuff. Was it, was it another? I think it was a Bud Light. Was that Bud Light? There's some ad I did, but the whole premise of it was that the competing beers uh, had such so little flavor that they they came in small cans. So I was playing like the disappointed person who <laughs> had this tiny can. You could hold it in between my two fingers, and they made special cans like this. They were yeah. die cast. They weighed cool. a ton. They were sculpted and enameled with a label. Then they had a little thing that you could pop. And, so they had and, to and make like dozens of them? They made, the thing I think up? they made like 26 of them. Yeah. And they were holding them there. But you could see the other executives were like, every time an actor would do like one take more than they need to, they go, God damn it, because that's one they couldn't get. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they cost some insane amount of money each to make. They were like mm-hmm. $800 each to make or something. It's so great but for But they were artist. all waiting at the end. They're like, if there's any left over, I have, I have dibs. And they all like <laughs> converged on the prop guy at the end. <laughs> and then they had to line up in, in, uh, in, uh, according to their hierarchy within the firm and pick. Uh, yeah, the whole world of it was so... And I don't know how many... Like, do you do a lot of commercials or have you in the past? In the past, I've done a bunch. I did a bunch, bunch. I haven't in a while really mm-hmm. gone for them. Um, but I, I found a way to work with them, which was easy. Because you know the way my brain is. And I would just... I had this voiceover teacher once who was like, you know, take the class. Because the only reason I auditioned for a job without having taken any voiceover lessons whatsoever, mm-hmm. and I was auditioning for a commercial, but she was casting also a voiceover callback next door. So she goes, "Just come in. You're next. You're here. You might as well." Yeah. And the next day she goes, "You were the second choice for that commercial, wow. and the only reason you didn't get it is because you have no idea what you're doing." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Just take the take the class. It's six weeks. I guarantee you, you'll make back." in a month you'll make back twice whatever this this class was and it didn't cost that much and so 
I did, and I learned more from her than anything, which is, she was just like, look, this, this whole thing is a game. Mm -hmm. All these other classes are telling you, look this way, spray your face with Evian water and get the sheen, all that dumb shit. And then she was just like, look, read Advertising Age. Go to the library, read it. It comes out every week, ad week. Just read it. Because what'll happen is you'll go into an audition for a commercial and it'll be for like a brand new Nintendo product and everything is top secret and everything is X'd out and whatever, whatever. But she's like, when you sign in, if you look and see who the ad agency is and you know what kind of ads they make, you know what you're going into. The casting director, more often than not, doesn't know. Like mm -hmm. they, they kind of know and they're guessing, but they're taking somebody else's notes. But they really don't know. So if it's like Goodby Silverstein, you know it's going to be a batshit crazy ad. Like they do wacky crazy do stuff. Do they do like the Old Spice or something like that? I don't know who does that. Uh, but they, like Goodby was doing, Goodby had one of those those open offices where there was just unicycles around and nobody had walls and, yeah. and you could just kind of like do work and stop working and you were just up to your own creative flow so long as you got the stuff done and I think they did a lot of the they might have done the Sega ads oh, okay. in the, back in the day like yeah. really batshit crazy stuff and the um, and so the idea was you know if somebody's telling you well this is what it says on the paper but really they're just trying to find the one that doesn't follow the, the grain mm -hmm. then you I mean you know from looking so that was her whole thing was just like so give me an example I, of that like say the copy says here's uh, one okay uh, Bell, there's this, some biscuit company where someone was doing an ad and it was a big ad campaign they were, they were doing six spots and in the one that I was auditioning for you were uh, supposed to be one of these silver plated street performers like your whole body's gonna be covered in silver and it was when I got the job but it says that you're on this talk show with Jane Lynch and Jane Lynch is sort of like a Today Show thing and she's interviewing you and you have no energy and how how could you possibly be a street performer when you're supposed uh, you're you're the metal man you're a robot and so the casting director reads this literally and says to everybody in the room guys if you you know they had <laughs> they had i swear to you they had every black comic or comedic <laughs> performer in town was there and this casting director is like do the robot. Do you know the robot? Do your best robot. If you do a really good one, do the best robot you've ever done. If you don't, practice it in the hallway and come back and you know what well, the they, robot is. And but there was a very famous Venice Boardwalk guy yeah. who moved to Santa Monica Beach and like did the promenade right. who was that robot and he could do that weird thing. He could puff his chest out. Yeah. Were but, they trying to like emulate that guy? No, that's the whole point. <laughs> you got to be able to see through the shit. So uh -huh. I'm looking at it. I know who the I know who the ad agency is, and I know that they do crazy stuff. And the whole premise of the ad is that if you eat the biscuit, you'll have energy. But mm -hmm. you don't have any energy. That's why you're there. You're not good at your job. Yeah. And it's because you're not nour nourishing yourself by eating this biscuit. And these guys are crazy. So <laughs> these guys are out there doing. I had to leave them because there's ten different audition rooms. I went to like they were in room nine. I went to room one to get away from them because they were all. It's like that scene in Hollywood Shuffle where everybody's like a Shakespearean actor, and it says an Eddie Murphy part, and they're all doing their best Eddie Murphy. And Robert Towns <laughs> is like Jesus Christ, I can't. <laughs> and then he's, he snaps into it and goes <laughs> but I got away and then one of the guys found me and then she came over and she's like you do the robot right to this guy and he's like oh yes absolutely and she looked at me and she was like I'm, like, I'm not doing a fucking robot <laughs> so I go in the room and uh, you're supposed to do this monologue about how sad it is to, to be a metal man and, and, a, and I just didn't even do the monologue I just started doing this weird Brock Peters uh, like this, this weird 1960s oh, melodramatic thing about a cloud on the heart and sh sh just smoke and mirrors and blah 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 this weird melodrama 
And then when I was supposed to grab the product and show it, I pretended to be a terrible robot and I just knocked it off the shelf. <laughs> and that was how it ended. Uh-huh. And then the guy was like, do you want to do that again? And I go, I don't know. I like that. I like that. Why? And he goes, what would you have me do differently? He goes, well, for one thing, I wouldn't knock the product off the shelf. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what? So I did one more sort of his way. Then I go, no, I like the first one. Keep the first one. And he goes, okay. And as I was walking out the door, I was like, I don't believe that. Okay. So I went back and I was like, seriously, it's my audition. I sink or swim on it. I want to watch you erase the second one. And wow. he got mad and he yeah. erased the second one. So I got, I, got, I got called back. I come in the room and they're all just laughing at me. And then they go, do what you did in the first one. <laughs> I, go, I don't remember what I did. And he's like, well, you didn't do what we wrote. So just do that again. And so I just. You couldn't remember it? Well, I, did, I mean, what, I made it up. You know, I oh, wasn't you thinking, mean word for word. Yeah, everybody else was going in there and doing the, I feel this way, and this is the product. And they were doing perfect robots and moonwalking in and out, and they were just chuckling away in there. But in the second one, there were these guys, when you, the second time you're in, it's the agency, and it's the people who actually wrote the stuff and mm-hmm. agreed to the stuff. And all of them were just like, yeah, make it up, do that shit again. And I did it, and I got the job, and that was it. And like, Half the principal, and then I thought, well, now that I got the job, I'll just learn the stuff and I'll really do it for real. Mm-hmm. And then you get there, and the directors are just like, "Don't, just do what you did in the um, in the audition." And I'm like, "I told you, you I should have gotten know. a fee, like for what, I don't know what I did." Well, the funny thing is, when you see the final edit of the ad, it's Jane Lynch flipping out on me because she thinks she's just doing. She's done three of these already, and in between it, she's doing Entertainment Tonight like interviews, and she's just on this schedule like this crazy schedule she sits down and do this ad with me and like halfway through her line i just i just start going (laughs) and i start eating the biscuit really badly and it's and she stops she goes are you gonna do that and that's in the ad like just her being mad (laughs) then then it ends with her standing up and she she just stands up in the middle of it she just goes is he looking at me and then she storms off (laughs) and that's the ad that you did she come back and giggle and be like, ah, no, just with no, it just ends. Mad? I'm just standing there like this and it ends like this. <laughs> well, I think she was just like, okay, that's what do you, who's fucking with me. And she just left. And then that was it. And that was the ah, last take. Damn it. I like that. I like that you brought, cause when you see commercials and like, and I felt like when I did the television show, you, you project stuff out there. Oh, you know what this does? It turns everyone into this. And so I was aggressively trying to push against that. But yeah. next thing you know, you're in clothing too tight. And you're saying the lines they want you to say them in a way they want you to say them. You see your friends in commercials. It's the same thing. Yeah. Like, so it's really rare to see someone like, man, that commercial was very demorge. Like that. <laughs> I can find it. It's online. You can watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to it's link to bonkers. it. bonkers. Somebody, they try to take it offline and then somebody... In the, I think one of the copywriters or somebody in the agency like put it on their personal Vimeo page, and I found it just by Google searching. It eventually Sweet. came up. I uh, I've really only auditioned for one commercial, and I didn't want to. I kind of had this, which I think is so antiquated now. Like I just didn't want to be a part of that, like big big business in that way. And yeah, but um, I think it was Peter Farrelly was directing it, and oh, I was nice. like, oh, I like yeah, love Dumb and Dumber, and. Uh, so I went in for this Bud Light. Remember the Bud Light ads that were like, it's, it has drinkability. Yeah. And yeah. so I say, and there were like some kind of funny lines in it. So I say all these lines and then I said, it's got drinkability. But I think they could see in my face. Like I didn't believe it had drinkability. Right. And they're all the ad people exactly like they say it is. And him and this crew from Chicago. And then he goes, hey, that was, that was great. Can you say it again? But this time as if Bud Light is the best beer you've ever had. <laughs> And I was like, you say that in front of all the Bud Light people, Budweiser people. Yeah. Like, 
this guy doesn't like our beer. What the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I did. I didn't have the acting chops. I just didn't have it in my heart to like. I was. I just felt like you know what this. I can't. I can't see myself. I could work behind the scenes, right. Bud Light all day long, and I have. I worked for a ranch that was owned by Anheuser Busch. I've done commercials for right. Coors Light. I have no problem behind it, but to see myself on TV going, it's the greatest thing you'll ever. I there's something about, and I don't know why. You get paid more. Right. No one remembers it. Why not do that? But I just they used to. I, I mean, some of the, I think like the ads are fun. There's great stories connected to like these ads that but really like the best stuff is just the auditions mm-hmm. and the lunatics you meet in these auditions sometimes. And like yeah. some of the circumstances are. There's another light beer. When I was in Boston, there was like a they would do these local ads. It was like Boston is get thirsty for socks action. <laughs> <laughs> you get thirsty, drink a light beer from them. And so there was like a whole series of ads where they like would shoot real people in bars and. And then intercut it with fake real people and then show you Fenway Park or something. Oh, that's a good idea. And so they, um, yeah, they sort of personalize them locally. And and so there's this ad and, uh, and it's like, these are the biggest casting agents in town at that time. And they, you know, they called me like, don't worry, come in, audition for this ad. And then I go, okay, cool. I could tell in the tone of your voice, there's something going on. And it was, they tried to make sure that the pool at the request of the agency and the client were mostly models like local models yeah and so they would always call me in this happens out here sometimes too but they would uh make sure that you they would mix me in to bring it to make sure the ad doesn't die or whatever is going on you know because sometimes when people don't really know how to throw that ball around as an actor you know things get very stiff and so i get called into this audition she's like you're gonna get something you're gonna get one of these spots i'm just letting you know now and then they paired us up and we're supposed to be four couples uh uh the the premise they gave us was you're all going out for the night but there was you had to stop off at your grandmother's house to morge and just make sure she was okay and now everybody is ready to party so you guys are just wound up after being really nice at grandma's house you're really wound up to go party so uh, you're waiting for the train and that masking tape. That's the edge of the platform. Let's go. And the girl that was, she's this Czech model who was my girlfriend, supposedly in this ad. And she goes, action. And this girl on the first take starts running up to the edge, right up to the edge of the so-called platform and starts going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Runs backwards, does it again, does this three or four times. <laughs> and the rest of the actors are just kind of stunned. And <laughs> the casting director stops it and is oscillating with contained rage and just goes, What are you doing? <laughs> and then she goes, I'm drunk. <laughs> And the casting director is triple oscillating now. And just so many, it was like a volcano. It was like choked off at the top. She's like, it is a beer commercial. You can't be drunk. And I looked at my watch and I realized, oh, it's four o'clock. The first session was at 10. She's been dealing with this all day long. Oh, man. And yeah. And so the second take, she did something else like, I can't believe your grandma died. And she like, caught... We're going to take a break. We're going to take a five-minute break, and we're going to come back. <laughs> I went into an audition, and I was never, I was never like, taking acting classes and feeling like I'm, but I felt like, all right, I can, if they're looking, if they happen to be looking for my particular yeah. style that's not that dissimilar to me, maybe it'll work out. And I was supposed to be the guy that's, like, in the tech van, 
and he's on the laptop and he's got the wireless headset and he's talking his way through oh you've got a bogey there heads up 11 o'clock that kind of stuff right like, oh these they think they can snap through oh didn't realize you I had a firewall perfect. you're doing it perfectly right I, now that's exactly how I did it and she just stopped and goes I am so sick of she just said like basically I hate that everyone's been doing what you just did and I was like what? okay <laughs> what evidently everyone just came in and pretended to be on a laptop like it said and she wanted someone that was just cooler and slicker but I didn't know how to do that and be like the you know lab tech genius guy. right 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 and she was not hiding it at all it was a similar thing where like all day long she'd just been seeing every person come in and okay you've got a bogey on your six i'm gonna oh patch through a thing there we go firewall's up oh it's encrypted now and she was just just had it and just took it out <laughs> just like, bogey encrypted firewall bogey encrypted firewall <laughs> god damn it <laughs> I was I kind to, of impressed. I was. I wasn't really upset about it. I was like, ah, I'm glad she was just as honest as you can be. I used to hang out in the, one of those offices. I mean, I helped them out every once in a while, like open mail and stuff like that. And I remember just like the just what they have to deal with though is is crazy. Like there was, I think it was like Christmas party was going on. It's a big deal, and uh, everybody had come to work dressed for the Christmas party. I hadn't. I, had, I actually went to the Gap at lunch and bought a sweater <laughs> or some shit. So I didn't know I was invited to the Christmas party. But we were sitting there opening up headshots, and they divvied them up at random. And so I was just flipping through, reading these things, going, "Oh my god, this person's never going to do whatever." Like just going through stuff and sorting them. And then you just heard this utter, just this yell, this just a scream from the bowels of of just and apparently she so had a knit dress on that was black and this person had put gold sparkles all the inside of it and the note attached to her headshot said I feel like I'm gliding on stardust <laughs> and it was just all over her dress and wasn't coming off and there was like a blizzard outside and she was just like ah, ah. <laughs> somebody had a limp brush and they were just like trying to roll it off of her and she's like it's not gonna, that's fantastic she, I think she wore a coat the whole time. She put her, her jacket, winter jacket, and just kept her jacket on for most of the party and just kind of like walked around with it. I would have really worn the glitter. I, the C- I know, didn't see telephone the story. anything that was that stupid about it. But then there's like, you see poor people like who mean well and they don't. A guy came in once and uh, the assistant on the other side ran through the back door, like knocked on the little office that I had. She was like, uh, you need to see this because this is going to happen periodically throughout the year. <laughs> and it was this guy that they, he comes in all the time. Nice guy, kind of like a Chris Isaac type, like, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, he knocked on the door and walked in. He's like, how are you doing guys? And he's holding the box and they're like, Hey, what's happening, Robert? And he's like, so, uh, you, uh, you called me in and I thought I'd take this opportunity. He's a liquor rep. He said, I took this opportunity to, uh, give you all personalized uh, shot glasses. <laughs> and they had whatever his company was repping, he had a crate full of, sh- and there's four of them. So they're like, do we get six each or what do we do with these? And he's like, take as many as you want, distribute them however you like, put them on your hands and make sounds. Let me show you. And he put it all in his hands and he started making, and he sounded like a, it was some kind of weird, like Chet Atkins kind of like song and he was whistling cool. over it. And they're like, oh, that's great, man. Cool. And he goes, he sits down and then he goes in and he auditions. As soon as the door closes, the assistant comes back in. She's like, some people try, man. They really try. <laughs> and it's just never going to happen. And then they showed me his tape afterward, and I was astounded at how bad it was. But 
there was a lottery commercial and what they needed was bad actors and this guy got a job like on that on that thing like that's incredible there is a space like if you just keep oh yeah pushing away those are my favorite ads especially early on was when they would like they would get people who reasonably could improv reasonably and mm-hmm. then they would get regular actors who don't, don't they just follow script and that's fine and then they would throw one normal person non-actor in the ring and mm-hmm. those ads are hysterical the guys who originally did the little caesars ads that company i think they had about like the company. 90s the early ones the 90s but they did like them they did a department store all they just specialized in that so they yeah. would get these like they would write these crazy ads and then they would essentially they did they did a lottery ad for me that i was in once where we were all in a boardroom and then the main guy at the head of the table had uh had won the lottery but they went and got some dude who was a he was a he was like a, a machine shop guy mm-hmm. and they put a suit on him <laughs> and the whole point of it was there was a walk and talk with the lead guy who was an improviser and he's he's just the spokesman for this company he's like we're gonna go see the new winner of the big lottery uh he has the main ticket the winning ticket he's the sole winner he's won 1.5 million dollars it's got to be the day of his life we're gonna give him the news right now and they bust into the boardroom they're going how how are you doing which one of you is this guy and uh everybody points to him he had one line and the one line was i forgot to play the number because that was the whole principle of the ad. So oh, he forgot yeah. to he plays he plays this number all the time and this, <laughs> and he and he had forgotten to play his number and uh, he walks up to him and every take was killer. He just walks up to him and he goes, "So how does it feel to be the winner of one point five million dollars?" And they put it up and he it was just terrible acting. He just he's like, "I forgot to play the number," and the guy goes, "What?" And he's looking around the room. Like, you can see this too. It's on camera. He's just looking around the room. And somebody, he's like, oh, do it again. He's like, I forgot to play the number. <laughs> Cut. And then there was a 10-minute break between takes because people could not stop. <laughs> this guy was just, I can't even do it. It's not in me to even do what he did. But it was brilliant. And the take that they used, they said, they said to him, like, don't do anything. Just say the words. <laughs> they just want to see what that looks like. And he's just, he's just like, I forgot to play the number. <laughs> like, what? This was the, like, liquor store? The this guy? was, uh, this was, uh, this was, he was, a, he worked at like a machine shop or something. Oh, and he was like, the anybody, they, this is a lottery commercial, yeah. They did other ones, like, it was like a flash sale would happen, unannounced flash sale would happen at some department store. So midweek, these ads would come on. And then there was one where it was like a guy was working, he was, he had two hot dogs in his hand. He's standing next to a hot dog stand. And the idea is once it gets announced, everybody disappears. So he's at the hot dog stand and there's nobody around, not even a guy that sold him the hot dogs. And this is a real dude. Some brothers, a black dude from somewhere. And he's got like a, you know, like a, uh, uh, one of those hats, like a Kangol hat on or something. Yeah, yeah. And he's like plaid shirt. And he's, he's just, they, this is the line they gave him and he, his delivery was insane he just goes I'm standing here holding my weenies and my Doris is gone <laughs> and it was just like I don't even know how to did no really trained professional actor is going to do it the way he did it yeah he's like looking around like he's really astounded like at one point it looks like he almost slips off the curb when he turns he like almost falls and then he's like my daughter's is gone. He's looking right <laughs> at the camera. And it's the same guys. Anyway, that's a long thing to go on. But I love those ads where they just sort of toss a real person into the middle of things and then just kind of let everybody else kind of work around it. There's a scene in So I Married an Axe Murderer that I was always convinced had been like a radio prize giveaway. Like, win a line in a movie. Because everything's moving along. And it's, you know, everyone's playing their part. It's not like it's yeah. dramatic acting. It's a comedy. But like, everyone fits... 
And then there's just this woman who walks out or who runs into a scene and goes, there's a power outage due to a storm, which is already weird. <laughs> oh, this is in a hotel? It's in, I, yeah, I think she's talking to the hotel. I think she's a cop. So okay. I think the cop's trying to like get in touch. Like, oh my God, the, He's actually with the killer. Oh, right, right. get up there. And then, I can't get through, I can't get through. And she runs in and goes, the power's out due, or the phones are down due to a storm. (laughs) (laughs) And she just says it in such a way where I was like, she had to have known someone or she wanted radio. Well, it's like Jonathan Demi's mother's in uh, Something Wild. And uh, Melanie Griffith. And I can't, I'm blanking on who's, Jeff Daniels, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're like handcuffed to each other. And then she's, he's, she's convinced him to go to her high school reunion. Uh, but they need clothes because they just sort of up and went and he's been kidnapped. So they end up in this vintage store in Pennsylvania somewhere, like in Dutch country or something. And there's these two Scottish women. So I think it's Demi's mother and her friend from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they like stand in front of the mirror and Melanie's like, what do you think? And then this woman just goes, eh, it's great, but um, I'd get rid of those handcuffs if I were you. <laughs> and it just comes out of nowhere in the middle of this movie. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that seems fitting, though. I like that, like, well, unexpected. Yeah, I don't know, quirky. Well, there's also, like, they get to the reunion, and there's a... Uh, uh, an obnoxious couple that's Rayliotta's part of. Then mm-hmm. they're just trying to hide out. And this guy's just like, <laughs> come here. And then there's another couple that's very milk toast, and the wife is pregnant. And for years, my friend Ray and I love that movie. We only lo- we specifically love those scenes with that because the scene would happen with that other couple there. And when the scene would end, everybody would exit scene except that couple, and the camera would stay there. And then the woman would turn to the husband and say something crazy. And uh, I remember, like they were in a car. This is the second time it happens. This is the best line. They're in a car going to some party because Rayliotta's told them, you know, they're going to this thing. And the other car pulls up with the milk toast couple next to them at a stoplight. And they yell something at him and speed off and run the red light. <laughs> and she just turns to the husband and goes, he's going to get in trouble with those guys. <laughs> it's the funniest line in the world. <laughs> and then thanks to the internet, I started, I realized like decades later, like a decade later or something, I looked it up. And... It's this woman, Sue Tissue, who's a singer uh, in this uh, band called The Suburban Lawns, which is like one of my favorite bands of all time. But oh, cool. She's just this crazy avant-garde, like Go-Go's era, sort of like Long Beach nutcase, mm-hmm. uh, and also genius, just musical genius. And that band is amazing, and their music's nuts. And they actually performed on SNL at one point. They made a short film. When, when SNL used to be really exper- experimental, they made a film called Gidget Goes to Hell, I think, something like that. Mm-hmm. And the short the video, short film video for that was on SNL, and I think they were on it as well, that episode, for some reason. They just came on and did a song or something weird like that. Anyway, that's like... This is what I meant when I started with you and your like knowledge of all the... Well, all the, all I, the stuff. Like No one knows all that weird stuff. I'm just all the, all ties just, together. Like, with, you know, my... I think my parents just left me alone a lot. And I don't mean like <laughs> like abandoning me, but they were just kind of like, you can figure shit out for yourself. Well, we had that a lot too, but I, I feel like even that, like even being kids that could be like, we'll just entertain ourselves, we still fell into fairly normal things. And I always, like when I got into the Pixies later in life, I would flash to think of this girl that in like seventh grade was wearing patches of, oh, right. you know, Dead Kennedys and Pixies and whoever else where I was like, she might as well have been wearing anything. I mean, I just, it was so foreign to me that she would be going home and like putting on headphones and listening and getting into a different world. And I, kids that did that were way more interesting to me than like 
whatever we did. I like I I I never really felt weird as a kid. Although I my friends all used. I mean, this was a regular thing. My friends would go, "Wait, what are you talking about, Orange?" You're so fucking weird. <laughs> they would just do that. And I used to like talk about mum and shots all the time and people would just be like, uh, hold on one second. Demore's what? <laughs> like mum and shots. You know, they like where they it's it's art. It's like physical space art. A lot of it's silent, it's movement based and shape based and they it's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> How old are you at this point? Probably six or seven or eight <laughs> or nine or ten and stuff. Just because back at that time, the arts were not maligned and so there was a lot of I, there must have been a lot of just sort of grant funding and stuff but this stuff was part of popular culture like you know NBC would like every once in a while have a prime time event and people would watch it and it would be some sort of fine arts extravaganza something would be going on so you get these names in your head I would see something and it would they'd integrate into a lot of these people would be integrated into Sesame Street or just Children's Public Broadcasting Network or PBS broadcasting you're just sitting around someday and there's i would just flip it on pbs to see what was on yeah in new york they had like a lot of other stations that were just neutral that would just play and play random things and you just go what the hell is that but then a year later something else would happen it would connect that to something else and so i was always curious and always trying to connect dots with all these things and something soon something weird was going on i was like i want to know what that is do you ever do they have night flight when you were a kid i've heard of it i I was not Night Flight was the greatest thing in the world. It was a TV show that came on Saturday nights, super late, but it ran. It was like two hours long, maybe sometimes three hours long. But it would, it was just a cavalcade of all that stuff, and a lot of it wasn't. I mean, it was wasn't age appropriate, you know, (laughs) just strange stuff. But it would do things like uh, G Men Forever. It was like this short that was on there. There was an old fifties sort of FBI. You know, G-Men play totally straight, but all the language is subversive as hell. And like at one point, these guys, these G-Men are about to bust into a room and do something. Um, And uh, uh, this guy's like casing the joint for weapons. And he finds it's sort of like 60s era, sort of like black vibrator. Mm -hmm. And it's big. And he hands it to the woman that's behind him. He's like, put that somewhere safe and then just like those kinds of like real subtle yeah, jokes yeah. where like if you're a kid it's, it's funny that he just handed some weird thing but also you know that's loaded and later on it's going to mean more than whatever and that would be one of like 40 different things in, in one episode and then your sensibilities are very like that like you know when you when people would do a cutaway to maybe like a clockwork orange or something where it's just meant to be like almost propaganda weird yeah, like yeah. that seems to be like you're like uh, like cable guy, you know, like his mind is made up of all these different shows he watched being babysat by the television, Definitely. and so you have a collection of quotes in there and things like that. But then I also think of you as like very sincere and passionate about like the art of it, getting down to the root of like what's truly. How do I live this? How do I breathe this thing? That's the only thing I love. I mean, I, I have all loved it and have always loved it, and it, it's but it's because it's the one place that seems to continuously give you something back and I mean I'm like remember like in the library once just randomly coming across Joyce Carol Oates and I liked the name that's all I liked Mm -hmm. so I started reading this book and then later on when I got to college um, I was writing and the writer teacher was like you know you've got good handle of language and this kind of stuff and then but you're writing like it's like you're writing it's like you're imitating um, 
Oh, yeah. What he's like, you, you know, that you have to writing is the other thing. I have to crack you of that and get you to write. He's like, who do you like? And so I was telling him these people. I mentioned George Carroll Oates, and he's like, specifically what book? So I brought this. I think it was called Raven's Blood or Raven's Wing, something like that. And I showed him this book, and he goes, uh, "Okay, cool." Uh, we, I think we took a break. And we came back, and he was like, "This story is a book, a story called Nairobi." And I read that story maybe I've read that book five times in my life up to that point. And there's this short, short story in there called Nairobi, which I read a bunch, and I liked it. And I thought the language was real clean and real neat about this little incident that was happening. It's mm-hmm. an eight-page story, something like that. And he goes, what do you think is happening in this story? And I go, well, it's this, and it's this, and it's this. And he goes, let's go back. And then just by, he, he showed me, he, he really quickly, he was just like, the words that are being used tell you more about what's really going on. And by the end of us going through comb by comb, word by word, that eight-page story was now a 50-page story because there was just so much everything in it is spring-loaded and you think that's real you guys it's no it's in the writing oh it's 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 in the writing that's what it is yeah he goes that's the story the story is this guy is is older and is crushingly bruised and came through this crushing relationship with this other woman who also has another lover and is living in this condo this high-end condo in new york but he doesn't have anybody because he's still pining for her. So he hires this young prostitute to play his girlfriend and he buys her clothes. And at the beginning, he's just buying this girl clothes, basically. And then they go in. And so you're in the point of view of this girl for most of the story because they, it's just these two bruised people in a room. What drew you to it initially just having been a kid reading it? The language is like clean. And I, I, I identify with the girl right away, but I was sort of just... It had this sort of like Park Avenue feel to it. There was something about it that I, that, you know, I just was really into. And it, mm-hmm. then it felt like, oh, you're reading adult shit, you know. This yeah, is yeah. And then you find out, oh, it really is adult shit. But it's about like what life can do to you, you know, two people who've just were messed up when they got together. None of this is in the story. Got together, broke each other's hearts, smashed each other, destroyed each other, broke apart, smashed mm-hmm. each other, destroyed each other while they were apart. And now all they can do is battle each other by saying I'm over you by standing in front of each other and just sort of pretending that they're both okay but they're both just battered inside Mm -hmm. and there's this young girl just flitting around the room in these clothes that she just got and like at the end I forgot how it ends it ends like he drops her off and he goes off on his way she's just walking off into traffic and I think she either keeps the he likes like yeah you can keep the dress or whatever it's like a couple thousand dollars he just her regular clothes, I think, are in a box. And I think she just throws them in the trash and just keeps walking through traffic as the sun's going down. Like that. And you just, like, I think about that now. That ending resonated for the use of language and the words that sat next to each other in that sentence. But now I can project to, like, whoa, like, what I can feel that girl's sort of like thing. And there's going to be a moment 10 years from now, 15 years from now, where she thinks back on that and realizes what she could have felt had she been in tune with what was really going on in that room at that time. Like, There's so much there about <clears throat> timing of things and who we are at the moment we are that thing. Or, right. You know, you're crossing the same river twice. But even just hearing about that, not even having read it, just hearing it, that'll stick with me to a certain degree. Oh, should be, it's like an eight-page story. It'll crush the, you. Like, even the woman in the shop that's like, is, is, talk, is, is selling her the clothes is like kind of going like, you don't want that dress. You want this dress. How about these earrings? And there's like this penetration, this violence, this sort of uh, masochistic 
thing about the earrings when she makes her try the earrings on. Yeah. And you start to realize, if you are aware of that, hyper aware of that kind of thing, oh, this is tough shit. These are tough people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but if you're a kid, you're just like, oh yeah, she got some earrings. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, and that's the thing about art, when you talk about arts, it's like that story, I may, have, I may have read that story 15 times now in my lifetime, but every time it's something new, it's something else. And it's, it really is very much about the words haven't changed. Well, I was going to, I don't know if these two things all kind of go together, but people, it seems uh, to a certain degree are worried about like being remembered or, you know, especially artists, like yeah. everyone's just going to forget about me. And I feel like it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter, but the words will still be there. And when someone comes in and goes and dusts off that book and reads that story, and right. hopefully they, maybe they have a totally different journey with it, but that, that part of what art is, that thing that it's always just going to be there breathing or giving off air that you can come breathe at any right, time. Right. Some people will have a, a beautiful career and take lovely Christmas photos and have a place in Aspen, <laughs> and they never want to experience that feeling, you know. And I yeah. feel like it, how that seems like it's paramount in your life that you, the arts, what it gives to you, the way it makes you feel. And I just feel that there's like you have to you. I mean, I, I, I personally. Um, I'm glad I'm actually able to do what I do artistically and, and, and that more often than not, this stuff is, is well received. Even that, I, I don't, the video that I just sent you. It was great. I was going to bring that up when you talked about, so you, to briefly give a synopsis, you're a character that's is a very serious poet, but there's a little tongue in cheek aspect to it. But then when you read the poems, they're not garbage. It would be real easy. I don't know about that. <laughs> you could, you, but it would be up for debate. Right. Be like, oh, you know, I'm a, I know poetry in that this is blah, blah, blah. This right. is trite or whatever. But to someone just offhand, you're expecting it to be such terrible poetry that, oh, that's the gag. He's going to go, roses are red. Oh, no, no. The poetry would have to be, would have, he'd have to be able to carry, like, that was my thing. It's like, whatever yeah. the poems are, they'd have to, and they've all, the, all those poems, um, I just started off with a name. I was like, for years I wanted to do stuff about this idea that people want to be known now in their lifetime yeah. for what they do, which is, I, I, I get it. I understand it. Things have changed. But, you know, there's an, an artist's life really is just this accumulation of things that you do in the time that you're allotted right. on this planet. And you don't really control anything other than the time you put into it. I think about this all the time in the the way I boil it down sentence-wise is it's one of the few careers where you can toil away deliriously thinking that your career may take off after you die. Yeah. No other careers really offer that as a, like a reason to keep going. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And Even that's, if I keep this tire shop going, it might t- it's crazy. But people are already sort of like, they, they want it now. And and I think the, the quickest, most facile sort of example of this is the way photography is now. And you see somebody with a, with a digital SLR outside somewhere. Um, shoot, look, shoot, look, shoot, look, yeah. shoot, look, shoot, look. Um, and they're putting the book together already. And it used to be you would accumulate. You don't know what you're shooting. Yeah. And then when you're sitting in the bath with it, like in the developing bath with it, looking at it, you don't know which one of these timed prints is actually going to look the way you want it to look. And essentially, it's sort of like with a book of poetry where you write poems over the course of two, three years, and then suddenly you start to write different poems. And you go, oh, that book is done. And then you take those poems that you wrote in that one two year period and start reading them back and back and forth and back and forth, trying to find things that repeat 
themes um, until you get an idea of like, oh, at that time I was working this out. Yeah. Or at least in American modern American poetry, you're, you're you know it's very much about the self in, in a lot of cases. And then you kind of get an idea of what the book is. Then you start to order these things, put these things in an order, and then you have a title that you can come up with, or that you're maybe a publisher. I don't know. Where. But then you yeah. have the book. And there's your book. Yeah. And then you have to go out and tour with that book and do whatever. <clears throat> and I mean, it's a, it's a reason Nobel Prize is for a career's worth of work. Right. You know, in literature is for a career's worth of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, right? What'd or is a Pulitzer? Of, it's one of them. One of them is about a career's worth of work. And that's, that's the idea is that you. The one that um, Bob Dylan won. That seems like that's a career's, career's worth, of work. worth of work. Yeah, absolutely. But how'd you feel about him? Like, I don't need that award. It's not why I did it. That's. I mean, you, you know, it's it's. It doesn't mean he didn't win the award. Right. You know what I mean, yeah it's, yeah. it's really what you make of it and who you are and what you want. But there are people who are many people angling for that kind of stuff right out of the gate, and it's you know okay. There we are. But mm-hmm. you look at like, for example, Jay McInerney, when he first came out, I don't think after two books, maybe after after the first book, which was really the second book, uh, if you looked at him and said, this is the career you're going to have now, I don't think he would have known. Yeah. And he couldn't have. But the story that he has now is this, he's become this, or the world has changed around him. And essentially, he sits in the catbird seat and is writing fiction about these people he started writing about this 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 type of person in bright lights big city and those people coming out of the flush 80s have now gone through all kinds of shit and are now in this world that we live now this crazy trump world that we're living (laughs) in now and he is probably of the of the of the academic um fiction writers that we have the most qualified person to write fiction about people those those people in that you know in in that in that world and to mm-hmm. write about them going backwards with like the history of their lives and stuff just because he's just been doing it for his entire life but you couldn't have predicted that then that that's what he was going to do and that's where the way the world was going to go mm-hmm. um back then all that kind of stuff it's you don't you just don't you know you don't know you can do both i suppose i mean that your story is always going to write itself no matter what you do but there are people who vie for you know this fame now and um okay but it's <laughs> you know if you're not in it for the long haul you're gonna get disappointed really fast i think yeah. well how'd you i mean i have so many more thoughts on that yeah. how do you feel about taking a quick break maybe yeah, absolutely. Beers if we need to yeah sure absolutely you see what i mean about that guy and culture you see he's just ensconced in it he every i i remember growing up thinking that uh people who knew that sort of thing who conducted symphonies and or written plays and books and to know all of that or know so much of it and especially some of the more obscure people i just thought that was so interesting and uh i think demorge knows all that does all that very very well so look up his work i'll put i'll put a link to some of the stuff that he mentioned look forward to part two that beer's pretty good too if you haven't had it give it a try before we get out of here this is uh a, bu- a bit of a bummer, not to bring it too down, but a mutual friend of Demorge and I um, is no longer around, and that's, you know, it's hard. But um, if you're unfamiliar with Brody Stevens, Stephen Brody Stevens, I highly suggest to check out his work. Just a silly, weird, interesting individual. 
used to run into him and I'll, I'll definitely miss seeing him um, glad he left some stuff behind for us to still enjoy you got it 818 till I die positive energy yes enjoy it the king of the catchphrase king of warm up work here in Los Angeles a fixture on the scene we're gonna miss him uh, so maybe pour out a little for Brody Stevens will look up some of his, his work and celebrate what he did okay let's get out of here thanks to Dan for putting this together thanks to you for listening especially those of you on the Patreon this show doesn't have any ads and we'll hopefully continue that way and you can support the show even if it's just a dollar a month 50 cents a week uh, you can throw a little in the change jar and make it easier to download music buy beer support the show host it all of that patreon.com slash David Huntsberger Okay, let's get out of here. This is another one from a band I seem to play a lot on here, but I just like them. This is Beach Fossils. The song is called Sugar. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.